0: Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is how to handle questions when you don't know the answer. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up those knitting needles and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I am Pastor Amanda Zenzelow, and it's my honor to serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon.
1: And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so this one kind of comes from one of my kids. Who, when I was asking, you know, what would you like to hear a podcast on potentially, she threw out, like, why is he named Jesus and not Bob? This is great, because we were looking back at questions
0: and comments that we had as we're coming up on our 100th podcast, Uh and we went back to some of these original questions. And I've been avoiding this question for...
1: (laughs) It's, it's been on the list a very long time. From the
0: very beginning. And I've avoided it for over 90 episodes. So... <laughs>
1: well done.
0: Here it is. I have no idea why, why Jesus is Jesus and not Bob. And we could say that it's because the name Yeshua means the one who saves. Sure. And Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew name and those kinds of pieces. But that's not, I don't think the actual intent of the question that came no. in. And so where I wanted to take this today is what do you do when you
1: have a question like this that you have no idea how to answer it? And, and these questions typically come up a lot with kids because I remember my husband brought home one of from his coworker and they were talking about celebrating Christmas and everything related to it. And the kid finally turned to his mom and said, well, who is this Jesus? And why are we celebrating his birthday? Do we know him? (laughs) It was like some neighbor down the street. (laughs) So these questions come up. They do. And usually parents have absolutely no idea how to answer them. It's so hard. And even pastors
0: sometimes don't have the answer to these things. And this is, I think, a shift in what it is like to be a professional in our modern era. Okay. I think that in the past, there has been a much higher pressure, say the 1940s and 50s, a much higher pressure for pastors to have the answers and to be the overall experts with a capital E on these kinds of topics. So if you came in and you wanted to say, why is it that Jonah leaves the end of the book frustrated and not doing well, your pastor would need to have the answer to that. Sure. And would be expected to be that expert in that information.
1: Well, to a certain extent, because you were the ones who had the research materials to be able to find an answer in a way that now in the age of Google, we might have a fighting chance to do so. And that's exactly it.
0: Len Sweet talks about this, and I may have mentioned it previously on a podcast, this shift from the Gutenberg era to the Google age, Uh and the idea that with the Gutenberg era and the Gutenberg printing press 500 years ago, we suddenly had the capacity for more than just the elite few to have access to information. Mm -hmm. And that made a huge shift in accessibility and opportunity for folks to learn But we still had experts. We still had the books being held in repositories. Even though the books could be printed in mass quantities now, they were still being held in libraries and were for academics and those kinds of pieces. And so the information, we really started to do a lot of teaching where it was the expert in the front of the class and then the the students who were getting this brain download from the expert into the student they would have access to the books and they would be the wise ones and then people who didn't have access to those things would then go to them and we had experts Mm -hmm. in this field well now we're in the google age and all of that information is accessible in the pocket of the average teenager
1: yeah but I'm still gonna look to you as somebody who has studied it and to have a much better interpretation I mean, sure, I can go find out about it, but it's not going to mean as much to me without some sort of background study. And that's the shift now, is that our experts
0: are less repositories of infallible knowledge. Okay. (laughs) Right? They're less the only place where you can get the intelligent stuff from. And they are more and more curators. Okay. And you want the person that you're trusting to be a curator of respectable information. You want someone who has a background to be able to help you test the truthiness of something. I was going to say test the veracity, but I'm getting into some really big words and that just sounds academic and ah, stuck I like up, so. big
1: words. Go for it. So
0: you want someone who can test the veracity. You want someone who says, okay, this is a reliable source or this is really questionable in how they're approaching this. So let's go find five more places to see if we can get this to echo across a multitude of places.
1: Yeah, but I'm still also looking for my AP English teacher to help me with the eighth level meaning of whatever is going on, because I don't think that it is just going to be a simple answer. Totally. And we still have experts. We still have people who
0: have extra amounts of knowledge within given areas, right? I am not going to just go to the first post I find on spinning as I start spinning fiber into yarn. I'm not just going to go to the first place I find. I am going to go find someone who has experience and knowledge Mm -hmm. and those kinds of things and respect that person. I am not going to expect that person to have all of the answers anymore. Okay. I'm going to expect that person to maybe have really good, solid base information and to be able to tell me where to go to dive deeper into the specifics. Okay. I may not expect that person to know all the different kinds of wool and all the different kinds of alpaca and all the different kinds of llama fibers, Mm -hmm. but they may know one and know who I should go to to learn from the other. Historically, we might have expected one
1: person to have all of that information. And not just to have it, but whatever they say is going to be infallible. Exactly. And completely
0: true. And we're going to fight that that is the truth. And now we have that opportunity to say, well, that could be true. And this other idea could be true as well. And so how do we reconcile multiple attitudes around this particular topic. It is a much more diverse time. We talk about having the world at our fingertips and the ability to learn all these things from around the world because of the internet and how that has changed the world. I think we often forget just how deeply and intrinsically that change has shifted in our own
1: capacities of knowing what We know. Mm -hmm. Okay, so as a parent, let's get back to actual questions. When I'm asked something that I have absolutely no idea what a good answer is, because I can give a lot of bad answers. Mm -hmm. I can make something up on the fly, no problem. But if I want to actually give them some information, do you trust Google? Or where would you send me? It's such a good question.
0: I oftentimes, when it comes to especially teaching kids if they're old enough to start to be discerning Uh uh-huh it's one thing if you're talking about kids who are really young okay with young ones coming up with a simple base answer that gives the foundation that you're going to want them to learn is fine.
1: Jesus loves me covers a lot, right? And <laughs> it, really does. it really
0: does. And why are we being nice to this person? Well, we're being nice to this person because God loves us and wants us to be nice to other people. Mm-hmm. That really is okay. When they're three and four years old, you're not insulting them mm-hmm. by not giving them deep, great in-depth conversation around the Ten Commandments and how they influence our behaviors and Martin Luther's version of reading them from the 1500s. Like, really, it's okay to simplify it down for the young ones. Once they start asking the questions and getting a little more discerning on their own, it's really helpful to teach them how to discern a good response on their own. So go ahead and take them to Google. Right. Uh And let's Google that together and then look it up together and spend time saying, well, what does this resource look like? It's reasonable. Uh What kind of advertisements are on the side of this page? Uh Where is it sending us to? What kind of communities is this suggesting off on the side? You could take a look and then come up with another question and then send it to your pastor, send it to your expert and say, hey, we found this. And we're really curious by this, is this what we think in the ELCA, or is this what we think in United Methodist? And then see if your pastor can come back and say, oh, well, here are some websites that are, you know, and start the kind of scavenger hunt. Okay. And do it kind of together. Wikipedia is really downplayed in our schools, partially because we know that that can be edited by anyone. Mm Mm-hmm. And... Teachers and academics don't want you to use that as your primary source material. No, we can thank Stephen Colbert for the wikiality line. You want to go ahead and go deeper than that. And Wikipedia can be a good space to start. Oh, sure. It'll give you lots of potential places to look from there. Right. And going down to the bibliography of that article and starting to look at the actual articles that are there, going and looking at some of the other sources or what other questions does that bring up, It's a place to start. And when it comes to faith issues, sometimes Wikipedia is really good at being a neutral resource Okay, because most of us aren't going to allow a blatant heresy to remain on a Wikipedia article. Somebody's going to change it. Right. Out of our faith. It's one thing to let your personal Wikipedia page say some silly things. And it's another thing for the article on the Apostles' Creed, which is the faith creed of millions of people in this world, Uh have inaccurate information on it. It's not really going to last for very long. So you're going to find some good basic information by going to Wikipedia and then checking out from there what the resources are
1: that run alongside of it. So... You can go to Google. You totally can go to Google. And And just use your common sense from there on what seems a reliable source. Exactly. And
0: be really discerning and ask the questions. But teach the kids how to ask the questions to Mm -hmm. be discerning. And that's more important, I think, right now of what we can teach kids is how to ask questions or how to search for things that are going to help them actually find the answers that they want and be discerning about the gajillions of bytes of information they can access, teaching them how to be discerning about that when they're young gives them some pretty spectacular tools as they age. Because we're not going back to the age when encyclopedias were in our bedrooms. No. We're not going back that way. No. We're going forward more and more digital all the
1: time. So these kids may as well learn how to tell what is real and what is not okay now specifically because we're in the pacific northwest sometimes it happens it's rare because religion just does not really come up as a topic here because it doesn't hold necessarily the same place of acceptance and importance
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but every now and again somebody's going to ask me something about my faith And if I don't know the answer, I feel like I'm letting it down. Mm. So what kind of fallback answer for those of us who don't feel like we can speak authoritatively Mm -hmm. on the subject, would you recommend in terms of what to tell them and who to send them to and what to look for? That's a really great question.
0: I think the most important thing in that kind of a situation is to validate their curiosity. Okay. That makes sense. Do you have any examples of some random questions that could throw you off?
1: Usually what happens is I'm mostly afraid of being labeled as some sort of evangelical. Mm -hmm. It will come up that I'm Christian. And the look in their eye is always something a little more evangelical and bold necessarily than what I would call myself as a progressive liberal Christian. Right. So that's the kind of distinction I want to make first, that I'm not trying to make anybody... But you don't want it to sound like hashtag not all Christians. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, totally. I get
0: it. It's a fine line. And so I think you do what I said. You validate their curiosity. Like, here's what I find myself saying. Okay. Right? I find myself saying, yeah, I serve at a congregation in Northeast Portland, crazy, progressive, liberal, awesome group of people really living out
1: there in the world in social justice arenas. <laughs> And I, like, oversell it? Well, I have to say that I'm guilty of using my roller derby pastor. Right. As they trust me, I'm okay. Right. <laughs> and it's because
0: right now in our country we've got such divisions. And there is such a, in the Pacific Northwest especially, yep. such a difficult understanding of Christianity is a loud conservative voice. Yes. That is specifically affiliated with Policies and procedures that are kind of against what progressive Christians speak about. Yes. And progressive Christians are not nearly as loud as that element in our current culture. And so in the Pacific Northwest, when people hear you're a Christian, they get kind of antsy. Oh, yes. And so I hear that. I think, one, you could do what I said, right? You can end up being overly apologetic (laughs) and um, throw your credentials out there. And you can also validate their curiosity. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, actually, I am a Christian. It does seem kind of weird, doesn't it? I hope that I act out differently than what you expect in some ways. What makes you curious about me and my faith? Mm -hmm. And turn the question back to them. And that's what Jesus did all the time. Whenever he was asked a question, he would respond with a question. And so you can totally do that because half the time I find in the Pacific Northwest that when people are asking me about my faith, they have so many questions. Mm Mm-hmm. So giving them the chance to ask their questions instead of responding to their questions.
1: Well, and often it comes up in terms of a lapsed pick your faith. Mm -hmm. And they're just surprised that I actually do somewhat regularly go to church. Yeah, totally. And it is rare that I find a flat out person
0: who is antagonistic Mm -hmm. when they find out that I'm Christian. It's very rare that that happens. Has it happened? Yes. Have I been flipped off because I'm wearing a collar and I'm walking through downtown Portland? Oh, wow. Absolutely. Have I been cursed for it? Absolutely. That is two or three individuals in an entire city and four years of ministry. Right. So usually how I'm responded to is, do I call you mother? Like <laughs> <laughs> What's that plastic thing around your neck, right? Like, usually that's more the response and question I get, which is an opening. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I can say, oh, I'm, I'm a pastor. I serve an awesome congregation in Northeast Portland, and they're a great group of people. Really? Well, what kind of stuff do you guys do?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, well, we do this kind of thing. What kind of stuff do you like to do? And turn it back and then start that listening opportunity. So when the questions come that you don't know how to answer – turn it back onto a
1: question, and start listening. Excellent advice. That's, that's what I got. In the face of that, there's also the somebody's going to ask me something specific, and I just straight up don't know. Can I just say I don't know? Please. Okay. I think that is so important because I think historically— Christians
0: have worked very hard to have the answers.
1: Now, this is a little easier to do with a stranger at a party. Mm-hmm. This is a lot harder to do when I'm talking to like an 11 year old. Totally. Okay. Totally. And yet, I think it's as critical in both situations.
0: Okay. Because Christianity in North America has worked really, really hard to have the answers for uh, like ever I don't know, since Christopher Columbus got here. Mm-hmm. And not in good ways. And usually some pretty awful and terrible colonizing ways. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to show the grace to say, wow, I really don't know exactly how many birds were sent out from the ark. (laughs) I think there was more than one, but I don't know. It would be fascinating to look that up. Do Mm -hmm. you want to look that up with me? And just be okay with not having the answer. There is no shame in not knowing everything there is to know about the Bible or about God or about Jesus or about our faith. There's no shame in that. You can live an entire lifetime as a devout church-going Christian and not know everything. That's the beauty and the promise of our God. You will never know it all.
1: No. Well, in 9 times out of 10 when I get asked that kind of a specific question by somebody that's probably my child, uh-huh. You got to dig a little deeper into it to, well, why do you think the number of birds matters yes. as much in this story mm-hmm. versus just that they sent out birds, right? And that is the invitation into
0: relationship. The question is giving you an invitation into relationship and an invitation into understanding the other person and the other person's journey with God and their faith. And if you're just listening to the question so that you can have the right answer, and you're not listening for the question beneath the question beneath the question, Uh which is really about how long is God going to work to love me? If I'm in the middle of a storm, how many times is God going to send something out to find me? Okay. Right? And if you don't give room, if all you're worried about is, oh, Crud, I don't know exactly how many, I think, that, well, there was the crow, wasn't there a crow? I think there was a crow. And I think <laughs> there was at least one dove and the dove go, was the same dove going up. Like when you're thinking of that, you are not engaging. What is the reason for that question? Mm-hmm. So don't worry about whether or not you have the answers. Just validate the question. Tell them you don't know, but I'd love to find out with you. And what else are you curious about this story? And let the curiosity lead you down the path to say, oh, what you're really wondering about is, is God going to destroy this world again? Mm -hmm. Or will God come find
1: you in the midst of a storm or wherever it is that the person has gone? Does that make any sense? Makes perfect sense. Okay. This is going to bring us to our last question. What is the most original question you have ever been asked? Anybody, any age. I was going to say, why Jesus and not Bob? But
0: <laughs> I just had this flashback to this memory of a kid. I think he was like six years old. It was my first call and was Christ the King Sunday. Uh huh. And for some reason, we were talking about what it would be like to have a king and what kind of a king God is and Jesus is. And this kid started talking about, well, well, what if the people were being so violent that there was no other option but to be violent? Because, you know, sometimes you have to hurt other people in order to save the majority of the people. And like went on the whole just war theory <laughs> wow. like, and, and brought up like nuclear bombs. Oh, wow. And, and I'm like sitting here with 10 kids
1: staring up
0: at me with big white eyes going how do i pull this back to god who's a loving god and he's like because god loves us but god also wants to make sure that no one of us can destroy the rest of the world and so (laughs) said
1: wow isn't
0: that right pastor so blink blink uh, right totally And that's, I think, probably one of the hardest questions I've ever had
1: to. Oh, don't leave us hanging! Come on, tell us what you said. I do you remember? I don't remember. It's all a
0: haze. (laughs) I mean,
1: in that moment (laughs) when you've got you know
0: 250 adults coming behind you,
1: sermon, (laughs) nuclear war,
0: you know, (laughs) it was just kind of a haze of, okay, how do I get out of this? I think I may have said something like, yeah, it's really complicated when we have rulers, isn't it? It would be really complicated to be a king. Well done, and really hard to make the decision on how to do that. I'm so glad that at the end of the day, Jesus is our king. <laughs> <laughs> we'll for all this back, in. back
1: in. Oh Lord have mercy. Well so, done.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably one of the hardest ones I've ever had.
1: I believe it. Yeah. Well thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about answering hard questions. I look forward to sitting down with you another day on another topic. As do I. And thank you for joining us this
0: week. I hope that you are enjoying the beautiful fall. As we are heading towards our 100th podcast episode, if you have a request for a topic,
1: we would love to hear from you. Please do. And leave us a review on iTunes if you have a second. That would be awesome. It would. It helps other people find the podcast. Yep. So leave us a
0: review. Send us a topic request at podcast at centralportland.org or on our Facebook page at The Church Basement. We would love to hear from you. Until we are back in your ears again, Remember, God loves you no matter what.